You are listening to Sound and Process, episode 11. I'm Dan Dirks. Thank you so much for joining me. Sound and Process is an exploration of the artists of lines. Come join the conversation at LLLLLLLL.co. That's 8Ls.co. At the tail end of last month, Gohan Tapes released Spring, a new full length album from Joshua Sadler who records as IO Flow. On Spring, Josh combines field recordings, modular synthesis, and piano improvisations to capture memories like aural photographs. The sparse arrangements interplay with the sounds of wildlife from the California landscape. It's an essential listen, especially if you're living somewhere cold right now. Much of his compositional technique is rooted in blind recording, a process he discovered through his participation in Mark Wiedenbaum's Disquiet Junto. If you're unfamiliar, the Junto is an incredible project a weekly assignment which challenges artists to explore new techniques and workflows. Spring is additionally unique because it was made during the most physically painful phase of Josh's struggles with congenital hearing loss and neural degradation. Faith is important to him, and it's obvious that he shares his work as a celebration of life and in gratitude for his own. This episode is structured a little differently. I've removed the interview elements and chosen a focus solely on Josh's reflections. He's underscored by selections from Spring, available on Bandcamp at ioflow.bandcamp.com. This is Sound in Process with Joshua Sattler. I played piano for nearly 30 years. I was classically trained through college and I actually double majored in music for a couple of years. Um, and then I didn't even touch a piano for two years until after I graduated. Um, so it was, I think, 2007, a couple of years later, when I finally was able to like, touch a piano. I went from going and playing three to nine hours a day, practicing to zip. Uh, fast forward a few years, um, by the time 2010 rolled around, I kind of started taking an interest in sort of electronic music, just different things than the traditional forms that I've been exposed to. And I happened to see a couple of videos of Edison or Galapagos or Brian from Monum doing their thing on this magical box of buttons. I was like, what is this? This seems so awesome. I didn't realize at the time that they were doing largely like sample-based workflows, but I was like, there's something about this that says, this resonates with me, I want to do that. I think one of the challenges that I had to overcome was that uh, in all the education I'd had, none of it included things like improvisation or much in the way of composition outside traditional westernish forms so everything had to be hands-on learning uh, i was going to youtube i was reading forum posts um, i was like well what can i do that would be good for improvisation because even though i didn't have any schooling in that that's what turned out to be the biggest thing that i like to do is how can i get something made and put out there really quickly without interrupting any flow like the more i'm able to disengage uh, my brain from any sort of technological barrier in front of me the better I feel I can make something that's really pretty and heartfelt and is not held back by anything. I think it was January 2011 was when I actually started 
recording. I got my first little small grid that I bought secondhand. And I did a creative one-a-day from about summer of 2011 through the next year. My wife and I were on vacation in New Mexico. We were touring around her hometowns and whatnot. And when I got back, I was just so inspired from the trip. I was like, you know, I think I'll record a few piano songs, just a little bit. So I did something like one song a day for the first 10 or 11 days. And I kind of started to get a feeling by the end of the first week, I was like, I might be able to do this a little more. I might be able to maybe turn this into two weeks. And then that became a month. And then that became sort of this internal commitment by six months that, yeah, I should probably go for a full year. And it wasn't just making music. It was uh, visual art. It was coding. It was doing design, um, photography. Because I'd seen a few other one-a-days. Um, Jared Smith had done one, and I think Marcus Fisher as well. And that, and that was hugely inspiring. I was like, oh... This is apparently a doable thing, and I see so much beautiful artwork coming because of that, so maybe I can do something like that. And um, during that time, during that year, I made, I think, three albums, our first three. It was like at the beginning and the middle and the end of it. I love to combine instruments, especially piano, with nature sounds. But I only got into field recording in the last couple of years. My health limits how far I can travel to hear these things, so most of what you hear in my songs are actually sounds from very close to home, sometimes just in my neighborhood. Including these sounds with the instruments um, gives it a sort of like grounding in time and place, and that's really what I was going for, is seeing like, here is this moment where I was. Here are some beautiful things going on. Let me take you into that place, you know, and that sort of mental world. For a long time, I've wanted to do something where I get to mix every like experiment, every type of workflow, and put that out there and share that with the world. And in fact, I found myself limiting exactly what I was going to put in or what instruments I would use. Like just a piano and just a monophonic modular and just a lap harp and a couple of other small trinkets. I was like, with these, I think I can build something that is way, way more than just the sum of the individual parts. Um, I can add moods and motions and textures and thoughts and feelings and just visions of a really, really, really beautiful place. Um, the end goal is just to share the peace and the joy that I've received with the listener, wherever they are, whatever they happen to be doing. Even if they're not in a place remotely like my album, maybe it's actually even more for them than in that case. Uh, it's something that I always try to do in my music, but now, uh, here we are in 2017, I finally have a bit more experience. I have a few more resources handy. Having had like all this practice, basically, and trying to distill stuff down to just, it's really essential nature you know how can i get this point across how can i do that without any notes at all what kind of restrained minimalism is needed to get across something very deep and very profound and lasting
Skydance is a long piano improvisation on its own, and it is few of the recordings from a, a lake nearby. There turned out to be a, a groove of eucalypts and willows and about a million hummingbirds uh, in the treetops just skitter-chattering at each other, sometimes kind of sort of chip, chipping happily. But then squabbles would arise, and I was there that day specifically to field the court and take pictures because I didn't know what was going to happen. I'd never been there before. I just heard good things about it, and it was easy to get to. So I just pointed my mic upward at the trees and let it drink in all the sound. I stood there for 10 minutes with like this happy smile on my face, like I'm just like wide open. I was like, what is this amazing natural world? And then by the time I got back and started doing a song out of that, I was like, you know, after listening to the field recording, I set that aside, and um, without listening to it, I just uh, played some piano and set that aside as well. And then I started adding in other instruments uh, without really listening to the others too much. It's part of a process that I've developed over the last year. I call it blind recording, where I'm not necessarily listening to all the other layers in a song when I start multi-tracking stuff in. Um, but it's just a matter of trying to leave space for things to happen. And when they do happen, it's usually serendipitously. Sometimes, if I'm listening to a piano, I might um, play a few lap harp notes based on what I'm hearing, so kind of dubbing onto a second track in real time. But with Skydance, most of that just happened by accident. I mean, I kind of had in my head an idea of things that are probably happening, but when I actually first uh, listened to both just the piano and the field recording, I got goosebumps, like just hearing like uh, the piano sort of pick up right when all the hummingbirds really started chattering and scolding each other. It was like, this is a really cool moment. And it's like, I didn't have anything to do with that. This just happened. Like it wasn't really planned. So about the only things I did plan was how many more instruments I was going to add. Uh, the rest of it just worked out and took care of itself. Happy accidents, I think, are definitely a thing. And I really like to strive for um, that sort of unpredictable or unrepeatable nature in whatever is going on, uh, especially with the blind recording process. The results are pretty much always going to be a surprise. And then it's a matter of just leaving it there and deciding, you know, is the work as a whole, is it, is it okay? Is it something that seems to stick together or do we need to just start everything from scratch? Like, um, I try to treat like you know, a studio session like a live session where this is it so that if you don't get it now, you've got to go back and do the whole thing over. The blind recording process, that came about uh, last year. Um, it was part of the Disquiet Junta project run by Mark Wiedenbaum. Uh, he brought in Brian from Monom to do a, a guest prompt or a theme for that called a layered sameness where you, um, without listening to what you're doing, record the same thing kind of from memory several different times, like eight or ten times on a bunch of different tracks and then listen to it all at the end and see how it sounds. And there's usually some moments where stuff might overlap exactly or it can kind of drift off over time or depending on how uh, memory is, it might be something completely different than what you thought you were playing. But that process really resonated with me so much, I've pretty much adjusted everything I do since then. So I'll record a layer in a song without hearing the other layers. I've probably listened to, in the case of something that's field recording, I've heard that at least once. And I remember my impressions of the day, how cold it was, the fact that the sun was mostly hidden behind the clouds, but it was still like a warm breeze every now and then. And so I'll 
improvise something on piano that kind of reflects that. But then when I go back again over that, instead of listening to it necessarily, I'll leave space for things to happen. So I'll do an occasional note from another instrument or um, like a contact microphone surface and some objects scattered across it. Just every now and then, like little bits and pieces. And I make a point of, if I can, not even looking at the screen to figure out what's like a gap that's coming up. Because it's just really a, a wonderful serendipity when all these elements line up or the piano melody that I recorded just happens to echo the birds that are chattering overhead. Um, usually the first time I hear the full song is when it's actually completed or um, if I'm going to be performing it live for a video or something like that. So I just really, whatever it is, um, this impressionistic type music, um, I try to leave a lot of room for things to just happen, um, to not be too locked into definitions, um, and that really not everything requires hitting undo. I mean, if I do hit delete, it's probably the full thing because I felt none of it was good, but mostly just trying to learn to allow for things like a bumped note, like a little imperfection, um, just to let that work for the improvisation that I was doing and for the song overall. I think it's always a battle. It, for me especially, it's so easy to, the more I think about stuff, to sink into sort of crippling self-doubt where I'm just questioning everything I'm doing, like, oh, I'm not getting this right, or this isn't as good as the improvisation yesterday. Why didn't I hit record yesterday? Why am I trying to do this now? I can't repeat this. And at some point, I just have to let the unrepeatability work for me. I mean. Because I do love to improvise everything so much, I've just kind of learned to accept over the years things won't always go the way I intend them. Like if I get a little bit of a, a piano melody in my head and I sit down and kind of start doing something, it might be kind of a dead end. Maybe I've recorded it, maybe not. So I'll sit back and I might come back to it later that day or the next day and say, well, how can I change this entirely? Overall, learning to let go and just accept what happens as much as possible as I've gotten older and some interesting health issues have shown up, I can't necessarily achieve what I want, at least in my head anymore, but there is always room for something beautiful to happen anyways, maybe even more so than this idealized version of something that I was wanting to do. Sometimes just being willing to switch and learning how to be willing to switch out to something different entirely and let it go and think, this is okay, you know, you're still going to make something beautiful, or at least you're still going to learn you're making progress of some kind as long as that is genuine or not because I was like well I'm only going to do this if I get it right and I'm only going to do just this one little piece of art or in this style it's taken time to learn how to be that open to new things that even a mistake or at least what I would think of as a mistake or a failure can be okay that it leads to some surprising turns making the most of it being um, unintentionally intentional has turned out to be a really big part of my process.
sometimes I'll know uh, how I want something to end. Um, if I've started out with a motif or a sequence of notes or some textures that I want to try out or even just a workflow, I'll run it through my head a couple of times. I might uh, play a few notes of it on the piano and kind of get a sense of, is this going to have an ending? Is it going to be too repetitive? One of the biggest barriers or mental pressure that I'll put on myself is if I've heard something so detailed in my head or really gotten so excited for something that I want to try that I feel that I have to get it all out there at once. Or if I start to, I'll just feel all the weight of these things that I can't add or that I don't know how to add or that I don't have time for or the technical skill and ability for. Is any of it really worth pursuing? Should I even bother continuing this project? Should I just scrap it all because it's never going to resemble what it was in my head? That's something that I still deal with, in all honesty, because that actually did come into play a few times in this latest album. But what I ended up doing was just being willing to leave those elements out that I had envisioned that I would have liked to add and really listen to what I did have there, if it was a piano or contact mic sounds through a filter. For me, it's easier to get through barriers um, not by imagining a lot of things and then taking them away one by one, but starting from scratch and really asking myself, what do I actually need to add to make a complete musical statement or a sort of mental vision of what I'm trying to convey this memory of this place where I was? I have a, an additive process and not a subtractive. Like, I don't start with a whole lot of material and then pare it down from there. I really have to start from the very bottom, start from nothing and add one little bit of time and no more than that. For me, sometimes I want to have a lot of busy activity going on. Um, not as much as I used to, but it's still a compelling desire. And it's like, if I don't have something here, if there's nothing filling in this gap, um, I think I'm doing something wrong, that something is missing, and this is terrible. No one's going to want to listen to something really quiet or mostly silence or wait for when is that next note going to hit? And I'll drive myself crazy trying to figure out, well, what should I throw in there? How can I change this? This isn't right. And then once some sanity has taken hold and I've rested a bit and actually sat back and thought about it, being like, you know, I actually need to stretch this out more. Um, sometimes first impressions are right, but when they lead to constant, constant, constant um, self-stress and pressure and really overly analyzing things, I know that probably my first thoughts and those strongest thoughts, I need to not pay attention to right now and you really need to step back, move away from the piece, come back and reevaluate it. That's been a learning process, um, and it still is, especially as my health has gotten worse and it's become harder to hear things. I'm like, you know, maybe I perceive a silence that actually isn't there, so do I need to remove or add something? How is this going to be received by the end listener? The more time and space I allow for things to just sit as they are, step back for a few minutes or an hour or days or weeks before going back to the piece, the more I realize these things that I thought were barriers really aren't. Usually it's okay as is.
I do have a sensorineural hearing loss. Um, it's apparently congenital. It's definitely gotten worse over the years, uh, especially in the last year. There's a lot of stuff that I used to be able to hear that I can't anymore. Even uh, things on field recording. There's like, you know, when I'm out there with the shotgun mic and some earphones on listening to stuff, it's a whole new world. It's great. I can hear stuff. As soon as I take it off and come home and listen to the recording of that outing, I was like, you know, I can't hear all these details anymore. So I wonder, can other people? In my case, um, because there's so little I can hear now, it's affected both what I listen to and how I'm able to listen to my own work and reflection, much less other people's music. In terms of notes and composition, I've generally found myself limited to certain ranges on the piano because um, I tend to not be able to hear notes outside of that at all, or at least it's very quiet or it'll sound off pitch. So I'm, I'm very much not confident or certain in what I'm doing. So that's definitely an ongoing barrier. When it comes time to put other elements together, or especially things that aren't of a distinct tonal nature or an obvious instrument, I've had to be very careful with how I treat that and what I try to remove, especially with field recording. So it's a matter of what should be heard, what's not, am I taking out too much info? Are people going to be able to perceive things that I can't, that I should clean it up? Um, usually what I'll do at several stages during the process is I'll ask my wife to come into the studio and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Do you hear anything that's really bad? Occasionally I'll send that out to a peer to one of my musician buddies and be like, you can give me technical info, like not just the typical listener's perspective of what sounds good or not, but is there anything specific that I need to clean up? Since I know I can't really trust my own ears. So I guess that kind of dictates the kind of music I do make, you know, the sort of restrained approach. I know that I can't pick out a lot of detail. So if someone is only hearing the way I hear, as bad as that would be for them, I'd be like, well, at least this is pretty true to my overall vision, uh, like the internal idea I had of a song. I generally don't work even in terms of something as detailed as EQ, usually what I'll do is I'll go back and re-record something entirely because I figure, eh, these notes either occupy too great a spread or too narrow a spread, so I'll just change the melody and structure of the song itself rather than zero in on too much EQing. What can I do that kind of gets the same flavor across but isn't so hard for me to work with? Hard in the sense of like, I can't really perceive it or um, I can't make sense of it, it's muddled. My brain doesn't want to interpret the limited uh, information. I think I listen to things uh, a little bit less often than I used to as my hearing has gotten worse and the deafness has gotten much worse. Uh, it's affected the types of music that I can listen to and for how long. I mean, if it has lots of piercing highs or lots of really rapidly warbling, shifting pitch changes or that sort of thing. Uh, it's a challenge. I mean, I'll still listen to it. I'll still buy stuff, especially if it's folks that I know, you know, I want to support their art. I know that like, even if I can't hear all of their record, the bits that I can hear are usually like sublimely good, like really awesome experience. But it definitely means that um, I would have to probably turn up the volume in some places, like to an uncomfortable level to pick out all the detail that someone else is probably taking for granted. 
next time you try to sit down and you get frustrated about something, don't let it stop you from completing because look, it's always a process and so much work and learning goes into it. In retrospect, I can look back at some of my early stuff and say, wow, this is, it's not something that I would put out now, but at the time, because it was the sum total of everything, it's like, oh, okay, I, I can see what I was trying to do. And it was valuable for what it was to get me to where I am now. And I can see that was enabled by folks who had made some samples available um, or like I had asked them a question and they had told me something. And so I used a little bit of what I heard from them to take my first steps. And so if I can return that at all, ah, you know, I've, I've done what I should be doing. Spring is out on Gohan Tapes and can be purchased at ioflow.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening to Sound and Process, Episode 11 with Joshua Sadler. <laughs>